0: our needs were met, my child's needs were met. And so that that changed something in me, like a kind of trust in the world at large. I This sounds really corny, but the universe, you know? I trusted the universe and I trusted a kind of energetic wave that we can step into.
1: I'm Jordan Kistner and you're listening to Thresholds, a weekly series of free-ranging conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across like a threshold into something new and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterwards. Quick note. I, Jordan, am taking a brief break from hosting this spring to work on some other projects. And while I am off mic, we are really lucky to have Mira Jacob occupying the interviewer seat. Mira is a novelist, a graphic memoirist, and an all-around brilliant mind and excellent conversationalist. She was our very first Thresholds guest, and I have never stopped wanting to listen to her talk. I also was excited by who she wanted to talk to for these shows. I'll be back later in the spring, but until then, mira has got the host mic. So I first met
2: Oglala Lakota poet and activist Lely Long Soldier when we were teaching together in Virginia. I'd known her before, of course, and had whole passages of her 2017 poetry collection, whereas, which was written in response to the 2009 Congressional Apology and Resolution to the Native Peoples of the United States, I had whole passages of that seared into my brain. But getting to know someone while you're teaching is pretty different, right? The program, which is at Randolph College, was in its first few years and things were mushy, if you know what I mean, that kind of formative state where anything can happen. And most of us on the faculty side, which were almost entirely black and brown people, were trying to build a thing we'd never had ourselves. So to say that Laylee is the perfect partner in that is just a crazy understatement. She's wise, she's generous, and above all, She's a dreamer, someone who sees things on a kind of shadowy periphery and then pulls them into the light, right? Like just such an incredible, incredible thing to have when you're trying to build something that you've never had. She also operates on Lely time, which you're going to hear in this interview, with a slowness and a thoughtfulness that demands the same of her listeners.
0: It wasn't planned, it was unexpected. And I, at the time, I wasn't really interested in having children. I actually wasn't interested in being a mom ever. Um, I was in my early 30s. And um, so that happened. And I wasn't expecting it. And um, I think there was also another, I, I, sh- I should be careful saying I was totally, I, I felt whole. Uh, because part of also my reticence in becoming a mother was my own imperfections. I tend to be a perfectionist, and I was afraid of the mistakes that I might make as a parent. I was afraid of heartbreak, because I know that when you love another human being, you're in for a ride, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> Yep.
0: it's hard <laughs> loving anyone is you're you're in for uh, a lot of work and the heart uh you know breaking and tearing here and there um and I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do that with a child and I didn't want a child to have uh, bad experiences with me <laughs> <laughs> and then grow up and resent me, you know, all those things. So to me, it felt like a lot of drama that I I preferred to do without.
2: I mean, it's also really funny because, yeah, what is, I mean, what is a bigger change to your life than having a, a body in your body suddenly? Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved that it was drama for you. I mean, it's pretty dramatic. <laughs> it is.
0: Dr- <laughs> yeah, I mean you know on that note i've heard women talk about how much they love pregnancy and 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 i did not enjoy any of it <laughs> <laughs> i felt it was i mean this is terrible to say but i felt like it was invasive um i felt like i describe it as being in a car in the pa- in the driver's seat but someone else is driving like in the movies the <laughs> The women just have a big tummy, but they just look fabulous and so on. That was not my experience. I like exploded. My whole body got big. My boobs, my arms, my legs, everything was like, I was like, what is going on? So The whole process was not enjoyable to me. (laughs)
2: I'm with you in that club, just so you know, I'm a hundred percent in the, I did not enjoy pregnancy. I was not a beautiful pregnant no. person. I mm-hmm. wanted to murder most of the people around me, which seemed very <laughs> antithetical to being pregnant.
0: <laughs> yes, but something did happen. A, di- a change inside of myself did happen. And it, it came in a very practical way in the beginning. So what happened was, um, at the time, I was a new student, I was going to the Institute of American Indian Arts. And I had just started in the writing program. And this was after a long journey to find the courage to go back to school. So that too, you know, to uh, have a baby was an interruption of something that I had just begun and it was very important to me. Um, That changed things. But the practical part of it is I didn't have any money, any resources. My child's father and I were not married. And there were, you know, things with that part of life that I wasn't sure about. So all of it together, especially the money I worried about, like, I didn't have anything, I wasn't prepared at all. And someone said something very beautiful to me. They said, don't worry, children come into this world with their own abundance, it'll be okay. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, I hadn't really, I never had anyone tell me that. And that really gave me a lot of of buoyancy and hope, and so I found it to be true when I had uh, my child. All the things—I mean, certainly I wasn't wealthy or anything—but all the things we needed were there. You know, the clothes, the food. We had a roof over our head. Our needs were met. My child's needs were met, and so that—that that changed something in me. Like a kind of trust in the world at large. I this sounds really corny, but the universe, you know, I trusted the universe and I trusted a kind of energetic wave that we can step into. And that has translated now even into my own practice as a writer and an artist. For example, I am mostly self-employed. I do teach at the MFA program at IAIA, but that's not a full-time position. So mostly I am self-employed. So I don't have like a steady paycheck, let's say like some, maybe a professor, full-time professor or night person who works in an office or something. But I have found that there's a kind of a wave. I can't explain it except that I can visualize it and I can feel it a place of trust that I step into and I say, I don't know exactly how I'm going to meet all my needs this year or next year, but things come my way and it happens. And I'm not a person that goes out and intentionally networks or (laughs) create, you know, it just, um,
2: can I ask you something because I'm so curious about this? Was there when you were growing up, was there any sign of that abundance? Was it something that you saw around you? Was it something that you saw at one point in your life and and sort of ebbed away? or was it something that you had never seen before? I mean, I'm curious about because because it's a transition, right and And believing that that's there, even when you say that to me, even when you said the thing, a child is born with its own abundance, like the Warm hand that I felt over my heart at that moment, just because I I feel so afraid all the time about about being enough for my child and is it going to be okay and and that kind of the way that that reassured me felt so deep. I can't imagine what it was like to hear that when you were just starting out and so nervous. And I guess I'm curious in your life growing up when you were growing up, was there abundance? Was there was there portions of abundance and scarcity. I'm curious what that was like.
0: Well, I grew up uh, with a single mom and my dad uh, was not really in the picture. He had issues Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he was, um, I think it's okay for me to share this because he, he shares it uh, himself, but he When I was young, he was incarcerated for most of my childhood and he was in and out uh, of the picture. But um, there were, he struggled a lot as a young man. And I share that openly actually as a celebration because he's at a very different place now and he worked really hard. Uh, through certain um, struggles and so on. So now he's in his 70s. He's a painter. He's painted his whole life. Uh, He also lives with that sense of trust that his needs will be met. My mom was a single mom. She worked long hours. Um, Where were you living? uh, We moved a lot. Um, I grew up mostly in the southwest in the Phoenix Valley and in the Four Corners area. So that's where I grew up and things were not abundant. (laughs) So we, um, yeah, it was like a privilege, for example, to eat out and to do certain things. So um, I grew up with that sense of like, I suppose, scarcity, but I, say that with a lot of care and respect for my mom because she was really doing her best to, um, you know, make ends meet and to provide on her own. Yeah, so that's the background that I come from. And so having a child, I was worried. I didn't want, I wanted something a little different. I wanted a little more. For my kid and then when I got pregnant I did not have more (laughs) I was not prepared so but things um have been okay I mean we're like I said we're certainly not wealthy but we have our needs are met
2: I've always appreciated when I talk to you is you had a, you had a full life, um, before you came into writing and your success in writing. And I'm, I'm talking about obviously the, the beauty of the poetry itself, but also it's taken you all over the world. It's taken, you know, it's kind of, it's blossomed in this really, um, interesting way. You've had a kind of beautiful and spectacular career. And these don't seem to be things that were really on the horizon at the moment that you got pregnant. Were they?
0: No. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. When I, the moment I got pregnant, I was in my, as I said, my first year in undergrad. And at that time I was struggling with even how to write a poem. So, and I want to say, like the first four years of my undergrad, I wrote really, really, really awful, awful poems. Really? Yeah. I can't imagine like, you writing awful oh poems. My, it took so. <laughs> it took so long. Yeah. It. Took what was that so, about?
2: <laughs> like, why do you think that was happening?
0: Okay. First of all, I'm gonna. I'll step back. Uh, a little bit with with my relationship to language, which actually has been a lifelong thing. In addition to sound, um, one of the funny things about my mom is growing up, I attribute this to her, her way of creating conversation and having fun. It, she liked to read a lot and she would sit and say, what do you think the differences between um overcast and cloudy? Like she would or you know like two different but it was often philosophical kind of con- considerations. And so she would sit there and like in all earnestness ask other people what they th- what they thought the difference was between certain words or what certain words meant and the layers. And that was fun for her or interesting. And so I grew up without realizing it, thinking in that way. Um, So that's one thing. And the other thing is before I um, started my studies in undergrad, I worked at the Indigenous Language Institute for um, 11 years. So um, I was working, I, w- I was the assistant to the executive director. So we worked with different communities who are working to um, create language programs and um, keep their languages healthy, uh, their native languages healthy. So um, that was also a big part of my life and my way of thinking about language and engaging and interacting. So I had all of that, you know, a a real interest, um, a real interest in language and thinking about particulars and so on. But poetry is a whole other, other thing. And It took me a long time to sort of chisel through and chip through something in myself, an exterior to sort of get to that place of, I would say, creative liberation. I try to tell this to, I try to um, share this with my students. I really do feel, because of my experience that creativity is a skill. It is not. I think there's a a kind of false belief we have that it's always there, mm-hmm. or that it's something that is um, children. We associate that with children, imagination and creativity, and so we we take it for granted as if like oh you know children have it. We could, we we always have it. We have it within us all the time. Right, right. Like
2: a spice on the shelf that you could pull down and use at any point.
0: From my experience, it is a skill when we get older, uh, a way of tapping into something within ourselves. But it it is, as they say, a practice, right? You have to learn the ways to access it and to use it and to keep it vibrant and keep it alive. And so it took me four years of undergrad to actually, like I said, to reach that place of liberation creatively. And then all of a sudden, it was like, in my last semester of undergrad, I often picture it like driving a car. So all these things I learned about writing poems, suddenly, you know, it's like, When you're learning to drive, you're very self-conscious, and you're like pressing on the brake, and you're doing the, the the gears, and you're looking in the mirror, and everything is like so conscious and deliberate. And then at some point, it becomes a little bit like integrated, and you begin to do it all at once and not think too hard. And that's what I had to do: was get to a place of not thinking, overthinking that's what i should say overthinking so all the way up through undergrad i was really overthinking overworking my pieces uh they were very dry very um this is so familiar everything you're saying it? yeah yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. cuz i do feel like it's sort of it's sort of i don't know if it's it's the way everybody becomes an artist but i feel like there's sort of the there's the part where you love the thing. So you do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the part where you go to learn more about the thing and it becomes work. And in the work, because like the self-consciousness happens where this thing that you were formerly so able to access becomes a series, as you were saying, of like gear shifts and checking in the mirror and, and making sure and being very aware of, of your own body and your own peril. And are you going to be okay? You know, all of these other things that aren't just doing the thing you love Mm -hmm. I love what you say about creativity about you about needing to work at it like what do you do to work at creativity well (laughs) (laughs) I'm like do you have do you have some answers here what do you do okay
0: this is gonna sound so stupid because it sounds like the opposite of work it won't I promise (laughs) (laughs) We're all different, right? So I, it's about knowing myself. So, so I have a, a kind of routine or practice that helps me. Uh, first of all, this is why I said it sound, it will sound like the opposite of work, but it's something I have to factor in in order for me to access that place where I write with a kind of ease that is also, um, it's an ease with a kind of um, care and formality as well. I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. I I need to be in that place of ease. So I have to when I begin working, I have to watch like mindless videos, like um, cute animal videos on YouTube. <laughs> yes, or <laughs> yes reality shows I love all my housewife shows um I love
2: this I love this okay I have to yeah I believe you okay so why tell me what happens to your body when you're watching those like what happens to your brain
0: everything relaxes like I'm everything relaxes I'm not thinking I'm not worrying it can't be news it can't be politics it can't be stuff like that It has to be like something really mindless and like I'm just feeling and and in a place of ease and enjoyment, you know, and then I do that for like an hour. I work late at night usually. So usually around like nine o'clock, I start, uh, I dive into the videos, the relaxing videos. I put on um, coffee or tea, and then usually after an hour or so, hour and a half, I'm ready to. I I call up a a document on my laptop, and I start tinkering. And it's 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 just tinkering. It's just like uh, approaching it lightly, and then and then it begins, and then I begin moving in a bit deeper, and the night starts getting. The house is quiet. The night comes, and I can work like that for hours. And like it's, you know, three, four, five hours pass just really quickly. But um, that is part of my process. I have to completely relax, and so
2: I love this honestly because I feel like I feel like a lot of us do some version of this, but just berate ourselves the whole time. I was like, you're I not will. doing I the will. work. You're not doing the work, right? You're watching another llama video. Whatever. Somebody I yeah. really like llama video. Anyway, right? You and mm-hmm. you and you sort of hate yourself in that moment. But what you're actually saying, which is so honestly mm-hmm. liberating, is that's what it takes for you to get into your creative practice.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. Totally. I have to like be uh, empty of all of the all of the daily concerns and societal concerns even to a certain degree and and be free of free of all of that and then there's some and then there's like a deeper a deeper layer that that is allowed to come I wrote a whole book critiquing the um, congressional gesture of apology to native people. So you would say that that is a very direct and political kind of response and work. Um, but it came from pure emotion, like just being just tired and fed up with the status quo. And most of those pieces that are responding to that governmental document and some of the issues, I also have other historical pieces. A lot of those things still come from that very emotional place of the daily life and what it is to be who I am and to have a child and uh, so forth, living in the
2: here and now. I think the thing that that is really interesting to me about what you're saying, though, is that you have to let go of all of that to to return to it with what were you calling it deeper lately? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, <laughs> I guess, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: No, it's just super mm-hmm. interesting because it's sort of it. It's almost um, the way you describe it almost mimics the way that you talk about accepting the that a child can have abundance, right? Mm -hmm. like riding this sort of deeper wave this Mm -hmm. this
0: feeling trusting it as i think i don't always know what's going to come out so almost all artists you know say that they don't know exactly what's going to happen when they first begin a piece whether it's visual or you know a written work it's it is a trust and i think that's that's also what has been pivotal for me that it, that creative process, it translates to so many other areas of life. Um, like what? I have, okay, so I, I but I, I don't want to reveal anything too personal. Okay. So I'll try to say it in a general way. So this is the way that it translates to other areas of life, the creative process. So I have a, a niece who is in a relationship. And she has she's facing all of these big questions because we know what young love is. And also when you're looking at committing to someone, you have all these big questions, you know, and now I'm like the old auntie. So <laughs> uh, we have coffee every week or two and um, talk and and she's trying to do everything right. Um, and sometimes um even though she's trying, there's like things that she worries about, you know. And um, but I told, you know, so I I was just telling her um this idea of of being an artist and making things. And I told her, you know, when I auntie, when auntie makes something, like when I whether I'm working visually or whether I'm writing a poem, I accept from the onset, it's not going to be perfect. It is not. I know that none of my pieces are perfect. And actually in the process of making it, it is sometimes very messy. And there's a, a kind of uncertainty I have to be okay with because that uncertainty also lends itself to surprise you know um, to you know um, it you know there can be windows or doorways that open into something I had not expected and it's very exciting but oftentimes when a reader or a viewer uh, sees, my finished work. They don't know all the crazy mess that went <laughs> into making it. You know, I worked on a visual piece last year. And for like a week, going to the deadline, the week or week and a half before the deadline, I was in my pajamas all day. I was like, um, I ha- my aunt came over to help me work on it and my child and I had like bad breath and I had not showered (laughs) and I was embarrassed and I told auntie I'm so sorry I'm disgusting right now like but we were all sitting there trying to finish this this piece I was working on and we got it done and in the end we're, we're all so happy with how it turned out we are but I'm like, oh my God, if anybody saw me in the process, they would be horrified. They're like, you're a gross beast, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Don't come around us again. So I use that as maybe comfort to my niece, like understanding that anything in life, like view it as, as a work of art. This relationship you're creating The process is not going to be all perfect, you know, lining everything up and making sure all the family is happy and making sure this and that, there's going to be some messy stuff, but you're going to give it 100% and just trust, again, riding that wave of trust is going to be okay, because you are doing it with your very best intentions, and you're doing it with all of who you are. So, um and you certainly don't mean any harm to anyone, you know. Um so uh that's what i mean by these things translating like the art artistic practice that idea of trust translating into other areas of life. Yeah. I'm so curious um because you had this this
2: person sort of say this this miraculous thing to you about um, a child comes with its own abundance. And then you have the child itself. And when do you, like, at what point did you, did you feel like you understood that sentiment? Because it it sounds like you live by it now, which is incredible. And it's such a gift to pass on to a niece. And, you know, it's such a gift also, even as you're talking about working with an auntie. And is it your child that also came over to help you do this? Like working yeah, together. Yeah, we were
0: all three. Incredible. <laughs> Right. Busting our buns to get it done.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Like, What an incredible thing to also have that community and sort of bring that abundance to a project, right. All of yourselves. But is there a point at time where you, where you can remember that, that, that thing that was said to you sort of, it made sense suddenly.
0: Oh, immediately. I mean, if I go back to that moment in time, for example, when, um, my, you know, they had the, um, what is it called? Um shoot, the party for a new baby. What is that called?
2: Oh, um uh, now you said it and I'm like, I don't know, a birth party, but it's not. It's
0: uh I'm a writer. Yeah, I so am I.
2: Well, I'm a writer that's also had a child. I don't know what it's called. The ritual, the baby ritual. I...
0: Yes, the baby thing.
2: Baby shower, baby shower.
0: Baby shower. Yes. yes God. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. mean, that's a great example. Like even just that immediately, like we had, uh, my friend gave a baby shower and there were pe- friends there that I didn't even expect to be there. And they came with so much love and they brought so many things that I needed, um, above and beyond what I needed and certainly for months and months you know we didn't have to uh we we didn't have to want for anything you know baby had everything and that was pure just pure love and generosity um from the world around us and I was so humbled like I said because I even had friends, you know, friends that they were friends, but I didn't know that they loved and cared for me in that way. So that was so sweet. And I think maybe that's it, the gist of it, that in very practical ways, I was shown evidence of this kind of abundance. Um, But, yeah. Do you
2: have moments now? Because I'm I'm thinking also one of the things that's sort of occurring to me as you're talking about this, I was, I think what I learned as an immigrant to this country when I was growing up is if if there's gonna be anything for you, um, you have to be very, very, very good. And you maybe you'll get a scrap. That was just what, what I learned as an immigrant. And then when I moved into my work life and specifically as a writer, especially you know, in the earlier part of my career, there was this idea of if, if you're a writer and a person of color, that meant that you were the one that was allowed into the room, but inherent in that were the many of you that did not get into the room. So there was, there was always a scarcity model, right? So much of the work that I've done since that time and also the work that I did with you at Randolph and the work that I am really devoted to is this idea of undoing that idea um, of the scarcity, right? And I'm so curious because every once in a while it like comes up from the grave to just bite me in the ass. Like every once in a while I'll be going around my life and I'll be like, I got this one. I got this one. It's not scarcity. Move through the world with abundance. Give more. You know, this kind of most of the time I'm okay. And then suddenly it will like come out of the grave and grab me by the ankle. Do you ever have those moments anymore where the scarcity gets to you?
0: I wouldn't call it scarcity, but I did relate to what you said I mean certainly I do understand this idea of the the scarcity or being the only one in the room and so on so that's something that I have definitely experienced but I also um, work in also spaces where I'm surrounded by incredibly creative intelligent uh, Lakota Lakota people and native people and so I don't always feel so isolated or what have like I do feel surrounded by and accountable to my community but what I do really understand also is the idea of being good being good and working super hard and extra hard um, and an example is this last semester, I um, went to law school, I applied to law school at the University of New Mexico. And so um, that was fall 2022. And um, well I loved and I wanted to study Indian law. And the reason I wanted to do that was to strengthen my writing practice. Because I felt like I'd gotten to a place in my work where I could not go further without having certain knowledge. I mean, within own, with my own sense of um, integrity, you know, like there's certain information I need to have, certain knowledge. So I said, I'm going to enroll in law school. I need to know this. Um, but when I started, You know, because I'm a single parent, I teach, I take care of an elder, I have projects, and I travel. So going to law school was like one step too far. It was like I almost put myself in the hospital. Wow. (laughs) It was like mm -hmm. the stress and trying to do everything. It was was just way too far uh, for me, for who I am. But so I had to really come to this place. I had to make a decision for my own health and for my family. Um, And I just had to accept this is not the right time or um, I just cannot do it right now. And that was very, I mean, I cried. It was really hard to accept that in myself because I think that I come from this place where I have to work hard, I have to achieve, and I have to do everything like maximum. And so um, I think that as I get older now, that was one thing in the decision that I made not to continue. I had to come and talk to myself and say, enough is enough. I don't have to like... This kind, this, this sort of mindset of having to prove myself over and over and over, it needs to stop. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. Um, It's not healthy for my family. Like I want my fam, my kid to feel like I'm there, you know, like I get one chance at, at this, you know, at this thing of parenting, you know. And I had to step back also and appreciate what I'm already doing and what I have done and the practice and the work that I do now. So that, in that regard, I, I kind of relate to what you're saying, you know, this being good and working hard, and, but I'm, I think I'm not willing to do that anymore to, to the degree of almost self punishment. I, I, I cannot stand it anymore. I can feel it when I start to do that yes. to myself. Yes. So it's untraining myself. Absolutely. I will not. So yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning as I go.
2: I mean, there's so many things that are connecting in my brain here because, you know, even when we were first talking and you were talking about with your... um mother and you wanted to say with care that you you were feeling scarcity but you wanted to say that with great care because your mother was really trying right and what i wanted to I, you know immediately i thought yeah because we're somehow taught that 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 all we have to do is try and strive and try really really hard and if we still are feeling the discomfort of this world or of being in you know in america not having choices then it's something that we haven't done right, right it's somebody's fault. And even now when you're talking about this kind of um, wanting to do this thing, and I, and, I, and I hear how important it was for you, but it also sounds like there was a certain moment in which, how do I say this? I think sometimes we strive as protection. Do you know what I mean? It's like a protection spell against all the bad things that can come. So it's like, if you keep accelerating, you're gonna be okay.
0: We're too busy we're diverted. We're over here doing, we're busy, we're occupied. Uh, so all the bad things stay over here (laughs) and leave us alone. Um, so yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, how does it feel? How does it feel now? A few months, it's a few months away, right? From deciding not to do that from stepping away. Yes. How do you feel about it now?
0: Uh, I feel good. I feel okay with it. You know, um, I have a, and I think maybe part of it. Part of it too is um, the stage I'm in, in life as well. Maybe if I had tried this when I was much younger and I didn't have the responsibilities that I have now, um, maybe I could have done it, you know, but um, I feel okay. I feel good about it. And I actually have a, another friend. She's also a Lakota artist. She's a visual artist. And she accepted a um, teaching position at a university that was one, one state away from where she presently resides. And she too lives in an intergenerational home. So she has her, her parents and her children and her husband all in the same place and a vibrant art practice a studio and um, studio assistants. And this opportunity came to teach at this university and she accepted it. And just the other day, she posted to everyone that she's not going to continue after one semester because she was commuting weekly back and forth trying to make it all work. Um, And she realized that you know, she has this, no one, and we were texting, because I said, I read your post, and I completely understand. And it's like, we together, we understand that nobody else is going to make the work that we do. And there's, and it's, it's a nice thing to get to that place of honoring that. And to make that work, like her visual work, it takes Months to make some of those pieces, like months, and I, same on my part, you know, to to um, do write some of the the things that I've been working on. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time and quiet and space. So I think that um, that that's just. I think that is also part of um, my age and the stage I'm in. Too. Like, I'm learning, like, oh, okay, this is where I'm at. And it's okay to uh, just honor that and and stay the steady course. Just keep working on it, you know.
2: Yes, and doing the thing that only you can do. Putting into the world right. only the work that you can put in, right? Yeah. Incredible. I also, one of, um, it's really interesting because if you're sort of thinking of the two ends of this, the idea of... Understanding that there will be abundance, and also knowing your personal limits seem to go very hand in hand in this sort yeah. of beautiful way, yeah, mm-hmm. but as you're saying this, you know, because I'm also in this in this place of taking care of parents and taking care of children it's it's there is something interesting about that about understanding your limits in that place,
0: yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, it's also like. You know, I could sit here and say, oh, because taking care of an elder also is no small thing, but there's no complaints. I mean, it's important. It's valuable work uh, and time and care and love. And so this idea of abundance is not about success. So this American, a very American idea of success is not is not interesting to me so for me it is about living a life that hopefully hopefully you know 5, 10, 15 years from now I look back and I feel I feel happy I feel good about it
1: Thresholds is produced by Jordan Kistner and Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Osherwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to our hosts at Lit Hub Radio. You can find more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website, thisisthresholds.com. Don't forget to rate and review our show at Apple Podcasts. Thanks. We'll see you next week.